Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Katie Heinrich. Dr. Heinrich is a professor and interim head of the Department of Kinesiology at Kansas State University. She is the director of the Functional Intensity Training Laboratory, and she is internationally recognized for her research in high-intensity functional training, exercise and obesity, and occupational epidemiology. She focuses on populations across the lifespan, including youth, tactical athletes, healthy and overweight obese adults, even cancer survivors and older adults. She has over 100 peer-reviewed published research articles and has received over $3.4 million in grant funding for her research. So she knows what she's talking about. In this episode, we explore her research on the health benefits of high-intensity functional training, and we get into the topic of shared suffering. I wanted to have Katie on the show because a lot of people engage in this type of training, whether it's CrossFit, street parking, F45, and so I'm doing a series of episodes with her on this and other relevant topics. So now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Katie, high intensity interval training is everywhere. There's boutique fitness facilities you can go to now. There's apps. You're an expert on this subject. What have you found to be the benefits of functional high intensity fitness training for our health, for general fitness, mental health, whatever? I'm just super interested. Yeah. So it depends on what I'm looking for in a study, right? And it depends on who the individuals are. But what I can say kind of in general is that people who do this type of training enjoy the variety that it provides. So it's not just high intensity intervals where you're going and you're doing running repeats or cycling or something like that. You're mixing things up. So you might be lifting one day, you might be running the next day, you might be doing a combination of the two. But some of the changes that we've seen over time is that people have improved different aspects of fitness. So they've seen improvements in strength. They've seen improvements in functional movements, things like getting up and down, up off a chair or up and down off the floor. We've also found some changes in body composition over time, not as much with weight loss, but more with gaining muscle mass and losing body fat. We've also seen seen changes just in the connections that people are able to make with each other and how when they participate in programs that we do, they are able to connect with others and develop a a strong sense of community. And I think that that's what really helps people come back because you got to keep doing something if you want to experience these improvements. So if you just dabble in it and like, well, I did that twice and I didn't get any stronger. Well, you know, try it for a couple months first. So do you think it's the community aspect of just the relationships before and after? Is there something to, and I'm going to use this word tongue in cheek, suffering together a little bit when you're going through something hard and you have somebody that's doing it next to you? Does it create a sense of connection? Definitely. We, we call that shared suffering, which I'm okay, sure you so I'm not experience. Out of, I'm not out of context. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you experienced plenty of that uh, previously in the NFL with some of the training that you did. But yeah, I mean, so we take a workout, right? And it's it's not easy. 
it's hard, but we can scale it so that if I'm, you know, I'm working out next to an 18 year old and there's a 65 year old in the class and there's an individual who maybe is recovering from a shoulder surgery, right? And we're all doing the same modified version of a workout together. You get done with that and you not only feel a personal sense of accomplishment, but you've also been cheering each other along as you're going through that same workout. But I think the other piece that contributes to that I think sometimes people are afraid of is it's also about supportive competition. <laughs> so we're doing the same workout and we're scaling it different ways, but maybe we're doing it for time. And I finished in 10 minutes and the person next to me finished in nine minutes and 53 seconds, right? So technically they beat me. And so I, that was pushing me through the workout because not only were we sharing the suffering together, but we're also kind of competing against each other, or maybe it's a workout that I've done before. So I want to get it done faster. So maybe last time I finished in 11 minutes, so finishing in 10 minutes is like a huge improvement. That competitive aspect is something that doesn't exist in a lot of gyms or even regular workout classes. You know, you might come in and you do a, a spinning workout and when you're done, you're like, yeah, high five and the people next to you, like we survived that. But without some of those metrics to see, well, how does what I do compare to the person next to me like that also actually helps build that community too. I'm interested. You, you mentioned like 11 minutes or 12 minutes. Is there a critical threshold for duration of one of these sessions that you need to hit in order to get the benefits physiologically from a cardiovascular standpoint? Maybe it's improving muscle hypertrophy or are these sessions... You know, what's, what's the threshold here? Do we need to get past 10 minutes, 20 minutes? What does it need to look like? And I understand that maybe your training history has something to do with that. So let's say recreational trained subjects. I would say actually there is no magic duration. What's more important is that you vary it. So you might do a workout that lasts two minutes and that workout might be really hard and put you on the floor because of what you just did. Your workout might take 45 minutes, which that's a really long, high intensity workout. Most of them are not 45 minutes long. Those we do very rarely. But physiologically, you need work in the different time domains because the different time domains work different energy systems. And so if you think about, you know, the type of energy you use when you're doing a sprint or one rep max lift is totally different than what you're going to use when you do a 5K. Mm. And so it really is more not about about a magic number, but about varying the type of exercises you're doing as well as the time duration that you're doing them in. I would say though, based on our research, the average workout is somewhere around 14 to 15 minutes. That's kind of the sweet spot, but they vary from just mm -hmm. a couple of minutes to sometimes over an hour, but that's not very common. If you're tired of wading through all the junk science on the internet, and you're looking for cutting edge research and tools you can implement today to improve your mind, body, and recovery, then sign up for my weekly newsletter adaptation. It's totally free, and you can sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes or by going to www.ericcorum.com. Now, back to the show. Do you find, let's say you're doing this four days a week, I'm just throwing a number out there. Do you find that if every time you go, you're emptying the tank, that people can burn out? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, you should not go hard every single day. You know, there's a lot of researchers that are looking at this. They're looking at a load, training load. They're looking at recovery. They're using heart rate variability. Some, um, some of my students have as a metric. And so, yeah, you need to listen to your body. And one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is you need to not have a big ego. What I did when I was 18 years old is not the same as what I can do now more than double that age. It's important to build in rest days. So personally, I typically work out three days. I take an active rest day where I do maybe a lot of walking. I might bike to and from work that day, but I don't do a workout. And then I'll do another two days on and take a rest day. And so that works really well for me. We do have people that will come to our gym five days a week, but they might not go as hard one mm. of those days in the middle of the week. So it is important to not think, okay, well, it's so short. I can go really hard for a bunch of days in a row. No, that's going to lead you down the path to injury. Right. Do these systems auto-regulate? Are these programs, are they auto-regulated? Are they providing mechanisms? I'm, I'm sure that's what you're alluding to. Because if every session is high intensity, it's really like a lactic power or lactic capacity session. So you're you are training the aerobic system. I remember when I went through early physiology, this is like late nineties. Remember it was like sequential activation. That's what I was taught. And then it was like, Oh, you go for this long and it's this energy system. And then this long, you're like, no, we all know it's a mixed bag with differential proportions now, but you're not really going to get like true aerobic capacity if it's high intensity. So do you recommend for people to maybe do like a recovery type of circuit where they're in a zone two type of range? Do you see where I'm going with this? Like mm -hmm. if it's always high intensity, you are going to be missing out on some of these other things like alactic power or aerobic capacity in mm -hmm. a sense. Yeah. So it's a mix mm -hmm. <laughs> of things. An easier way to answer that might be, we did a study with the U.S. Army mm -hmm. and we did five days a week training because that matched with their training schedule. And so we designed it so that Wednesday, they're training hard on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, but Wednesday was skill work mm -hmm. as well as some mobilization, stretching, recovery using, you know, foam rollers, lacrosse mm -hmm. balls, things like that, just to make sure that we specifically built in that rest and recovery mm -hmm. in the middle. And so there are, are definitely ways that you can do that in these types of training programs. And I, I would recommend that people do that and make sure, you know, and mobility is not just a one day thing, right? right. So <laughs> you also, it's not like you're coming in and you're going right into this high intensity workout, right? You are yes. coming in, warming up, you might mobilize before or during the warm up. You're going to go over the skills that you're going to use in that day's workout before you actually start the workout itself. So it's not like you're just coming in and going to the gym for two minutes. You're coming in for 45 minutes to an hour and doing these pieces, but then hitting that workout hard. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, that would be the wise thing to do. I was looking through a lot of the papers that you've been the primary author on, and then some that you, you've done a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's very impressive. I did notice one. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My family does that. We've been doing it for quite a while. My wife just got her brown belt, which is like, she's in her seventh year. We competed and there was a paper about judo and high intensity interval training with, I believe it was adolescence. 
correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it was really interesting. The, cause you have like general physical preparation. And then as like you ascend up the paradigm, you have to do more and more specific things, but there was a translation between judo throws. I believe it was a Sayonagi and high intensity interval training. Really interesting to me because having done jujitsu, I mean, there are periods where you really need to tap max heart rate and you've got to be comfortable there. I was like, huh. And so I do in my own personal training, as I get closer to a tournament, I will do very high intensity interval work, really trying to push maximum heart rate. So I'm comfortable there. Do you see this being beneficial across all sports? Are there sports that are like mixed modal, kind of like mixed martial arts that this is more beneficial for? Or do you, I'm just interested because you seem to be studying a lot of different things, tactical <laughs> athletes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's interesting. That that study is actually by a PhD student who's in Armenia, who mm. I got connected with through ResearchGate. And he said, you know, I see you're an expert in this area. I'm using this CrossFit training program. Will you help me write this up? We're actually, and so the, the paper you're, you're mentioning was baseline to midpoint results. And now we're getting ready to start looking at the full nine-month training program outcomes for okay. these young athletes, um, which is it's really fascinating. And you're right, they improved on kind of the general physical fitness, but also the two judo specific throws that they did. And so that's been a lot of fun just collaborating internationally. But as far as who it's applicable for, so anybody who wants to move. I love right? it. Okay. Like, I know that's, that's very simplistic, but, you know, I've worked with everybody from young kids through older adults, tactical athletes, even doing some work with adaptive athletes. And the functional training piece is important because that is working on the basic human movements of lunging, pushing, pulling, squatting, rotation, mm -hmm. things like that, that you need for any type of sport or any daily activities. As far as where it fits into the training, it just depends on depend on the coach, right? And it would depend on um, the willingness to, to take a look at maybe a slightly different style of training. You know, is it more effective than some of the things that they're already doing in football, whether that be soccer football or American football? You know, is it more effective than some of the training they're doing in athletics and track and field? I can't tell you that it is, but what I can tell you is that high intensity functional training creates a very good conditioning base from which you can do, it, it can help a lot of these other types of sport activities or movements. And so it's not going to give you necessarily that sport specific training. You still need that. You still need to work on all your judo techniques, right? You're not going to get that from doing my workouts. I don't even know how to do those techniques, but can we get you to a point where you're very well conditioned for that competition and that endurance that you need, as well as the sprint speed, things like that. The power, yes, we can do that. That is super interesting. I really love what you're doing. And I think it's very needed, especially now when we're in a time crunch society where we can put people in positions where they can do functional movements in a safe manner, push themselves, like get comfortable being uncomfortable and do it in a community setting. I think it really hits on a lot of things that we need right now as a society. That shared suffering is a wonderful concept. So I really appreciate the work you're doing and I'm looking forward to digging in on our next podcast together. Sure. Thank you very much. Got it. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you want to support the show, please hit the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. 
Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.